Welcome to the Friday Five, a series in which we cover five stories in health and science research over the previous week that you may have missed. There are plenty of controversies and ethical issues in science, and we get into many of them in our online magazine. But there are also lots of stories to be excited about, and this news roundup is focused on scientific work to give you a therapeutic dose of inspiration headed into the weekend. First up in the Friday Five, it's not exactly front page news that exercise is good for you, but it also might keep you feeling and looking younger, all the way down to your cells. A fascinating study was published this week by researchers at the University of Arkansas that looked at the aging process for three groups of mice. One group was exercise buffs. Another group didn't exercise much, but was treated with four proteins that have been shown in previous research to reprogram cells back to a younger state. And a third group of mice was given a treatment of just one of the proteins, called Mike, which you would otherwise get by working out the type of muscle that connects to your bones. Then the researchers looked deep into the animal's muscle tissue across the three groups, and they found something amazing. The mice who worked out a lot basically had very similar tissue to the mice that got the treatment to reprogram their cells. The four proteins are called Yamanaka factors, after Shinya Yamanaka, the scientist who discovered them, and, by the way, won the Nobel Prize for it. So does this mean that we could one day have a pill made from a Yamanaka factor like Mike that people can take to have the same effect as exercising? The Arkansas researchers say not so fast. First of all, exercise pays off with an array of benefits that could never be achieved by the Mike factor. Oh, and some research has linked the Yamanaka factors to animals developing cancer. Instead of pointing to an exercise substitute, the research team sees their study as reinforcing the benefits of exercise to reprogram the body. Though they're also exploring how Mike could be used in combination with exercise for older people whose muscles aren't responding to workouts the way they used to, or even for astronauts to benefit more from exercise when they're in zero gravity. So maybe exercise can reprogram the cells to some extent. But when it comes to workouts, or maybe sports, that are good for the brain, not all exercise is equal, according to researchers at McMaster University. And that's especially true in a world filled with technologies like GPS and food deliveries to our doorsteps that make our lives easier, but also do a lot of our thinking for us. Certain parts of our brains responsible for spatial reasoning don't get stimulated the way they did when our ancestors were out navigating the forest, hunting, and foraging. If we fail to use these abilities enough, we might lose them. And that could be why one of the first symptoms of Alzheimer's is that people get lost more easily. What does any of this have to do with sports? Well, the scientists at McMaster studied a sport that depends on navigation like no other, a sport you probably haven't heard of, orienteering. The goal of orienteering is to go somewhere you've never been before, without your trusty cell phone, and find certain landmarks armed only with a compass and a map like it's 1994. In their study, published in Plus One on Wednesday, the research team looked at the mental abilities of adults ages 18 to 87. Those who are avid orienteerers, if that's a word, had superior spatial reasoning and memory. Now, you could shrug this off and go back to your treadmill, but why not get both exercise and mental stimulation that might ward off dementia, not to mention fresh air, sunlight, and meeting new people? The McMaster researchers think that orienteering might be so beneficial because you have to switch very quickly between different parts of the brain, going from studying your flat map to applying that information to your 3D surroundings. Even if you don't want to take this up as a sport, the kinesiologists who ran this study advised that you could just try finding your way around town without your GPS every once in a while. Preferably when being late won't be a problem, in case you end up in the wrong city. Next up in the Friday Five, even though different types of mental illnesses have different symptoms, they may have the same underlying cause in the brain, according to researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital. 
about one in every five adults has depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, or another psychiatric disorder. Although the symptoms of these illnesses are unique, we also know that about 50% of people with one disorder will end up getting diagnosed with another one. That's led some to wonder if they're caused by something similar, and in a new study published in Nature Human Behavior, the researchers seem to have discovered a brain network that plays a key role in all of the above. The research team dove into four different data sets that already existed involving thousands of people, and analyzed the data using a very detailed map of how the brain's neurons connect with each other. The researchers saw that their network looked different when people had mental illness compared to how gray matter is affected when people have Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative disorders. These differences hadn't been apparent in previous research that focused on connections between mental illness and specific regions of the brain. The scientists ran this analysis for a series of mental illnesses one at a time, and each time the network came up as playing a similar role. They took brain scans from almost 200 war veterans and were able to observe that when the vets had combat injuries that had damaged their so-called transdiagnostic network, that made it more likely the vet had experienced mental illness since returning from war. The research team is now looking to study whether they can use electrical brain stimulation to affect this network to help with a variety of mental illnesses. Over 5 million Americans are affected by autism, but individual cases are notoriously tough to diagnose. Identifying more kids and starting to help them earlier on would make a difference in how well-adjusted they'll be throughout their lives. Now research is showing that a new test made by a small startup company may be able to play a key role in diagnosing children as young as one month old by analyzing a single strand of hair. In this test, lasers are used to peel back an outer layer of the hair, and then another type of laser inspects the hair for copper, lead, and cadmium three metals that are often found in the hair of people who have autism. It also scans for other metal-like substances, such as arsenic. The scientists tested 220 kids at just one month of age, and then they looked at whether those children had been diagnosed with autism by age four. In a recent study published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, they reported the test identified autism in 96.4% of cases, while it accurately found no autism in 75% of cases. No one's really sure why people with autism have these metals. It could be something going on genetically, or they could have been exposed to substances in the environment that caused the metals to show up. Cases of autism have increased by about 50% in recent years. Independent researchers from places like Columbia University said this test is promising, while more research is needed to validate how well it works. The research team is now working on a larger effort that will test the study in a broader group of 2,000 people. And you'll want to listen closely to this next story, because scientists did something for the first time this week. They were able to help a woman missing an ear by 3D printing an ear and attaching it to her. Remarkably, the ear was printed from natural human cells. The effort is part of an ongoing clinical trial involving 11 people, all of whom are receiving these 3D printouts. The woman who got the ear has a rare condition called macrotia, in which people are born without the ear, or in some cases, without both ears. The technology is being led by a company called 3D Bio, and they're not publicizing many details of their process at this point. But they have said the first step is to take tissue samples near to where the ear should be from the patient and harvest cartilage cells from them. Then they have a special way of multiplying the cartilage cells, and these cells provide the bioink, which the scientists then put into the 3D printer, which cookie cuts the cells into an ear shape. There aren't many options for people missing body parts, like their ears, and these printout ears seem to have a few big advantages over the few options that do exist. For example, because they're made of the patient's own cells, they're less likely to be rejected compared to synthetic materials. Once the study is finished, the results will be published in a peer-reviewed journal, the company said. 
They have much to learn from the trial, including whether patients will have any health complications as time goes on. But if the results are positive, the researchers think their 3D printing approach could help with replacements of noses, knee meniscus, breast tissue, and spinal discs. As always, you can find links to each study I've discussed this week in the show notes. And please check out the leaps.org magazine online, where you can learn about the latest and most important challenges and developments in science, such as this week an article on how blockchain could help patients follow their own tissues and other samples taken from their bodies as they're used in biomedical research. Overall, the leaps.org platform looks at innovations through the lens of rational optimism. You can find out what to be concerned about, but we also tell you which scientific breakthroughs are giving reason for excitement. Thanks for listening to the Friday Five, and have a great weekend.